0: Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of Midday Treat with Hoka Naz Elite. Uh, I'm Ben Rosario, the head coach of Naz Elite, and I will be conducting an interview today with Erin Strout. Erin works for Women'sRunning.com. She's one of the top journalists in the running world and has been for some time. She is a friend of mine. She lives here in Flagstaff. She's also the executive director of Team Run Flagstaff, and I had Aaron on to discuss COVID-19 and how it affects the running world, and what can we possibly do to get the sport going again, or or perhaps is is it not the right time yet? And we discussed all sorts of things. We talked about world marathon majors and major road races, but also grassroots track events and high school and college cross country. And then we veered off into just discussing wearing masks and different parts of the country being um, a little ahead or behind in terms of dealing with the pandemic. And it was just a, it was just a really interesting hour of discussion. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we solved all the world's problems, Aaron and I, but uh, but we did we did have a conversation that I think a lot of people are having with their friends and their running partners around the country, and uh, maybe having this conversation with Aaron and making it public is going to help the dialogue because I do think we need to be uh, thinking about the sport and, and the industry as a whole and, and how we can get back in a, in a really safe way, so... Here we go. Hope you guys enjoy it. This is myself and Aaron Strout. All right. Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of Midday Treat with Hoka NAZ Elite. Uh, We actually haven't had one of our traditional podcasts in a while due to all the... um, crazy times we're in because we usually do this in person with Eric Sensiman as our host but of course that's not possible in our little podcast studio here. So uh, today I'm recording um, from my home and I am joined today by women's running uh, head writer Erin Strout. Erin, hello.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. i um reached out to Aaron just a couple of days ago to do this because I had been I don't know I had been feeling like there was a lack of conversation in our sport that being track and field and road running about COVID-19 and how to try to get back uh to um, racing and that includes both mass participation events but also the professional side of things and being a sports fan I've listened to gigobs of podcasts about MLB coming back, NHL, um, uh, NBA, of course, and and I've been watching golf, and I've been watching soccer, so I know it's possible, um, but I don't know that we have the leadership that some of those sports have because of our lack of really a professional organization, Um, and so I think that hamstrings us. But anyway, we'll get to all those things. I wanted to start by just asking Aaron... um, How have you been doing uh, and what is your last couple of months? I guess now we're more on three plus months. How how have they been for you both uh, personally and then professionally?
1: Yeah, um, it's been weird like everyone else. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people assume because I've always worked from home that it's like status quo, but it's really not. As you know, I do a lot, you know, in Flagstaff that gets me out of the house. More days than not, so it's been very strange. Just you know, being home a lot, not traveling for work. Um, you know, pivoting a little bit at work as far as like what I'm writing about. It's been more you know kind of service oriented as a pro as opposed to like covering the pro end of the sport because there's not a lot going on there. Uh, at least there hadn't been. I feel like it's picking up a little bit now, but yeah, it's been strange. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Have you gone in waves about the whole thing? That's how it's been for me. You know, I've had, obviously, if you go all the way back to the beginning of March, curiosity, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. Then everything seems to shut down, then total fear takes over. I'm just frightened. Uh, Then things, you, you get to, you begin to get a little better feel for what's going on, though, though, though things seem to be very fluid, even still. And so you, you begin to not, not feel, uh, okay about everything, but you, you begin to, um, try to bring some normalcy back to your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I've had days where I just looked at too many things and got super bummed and I don't know, it's just been waves for me. Am am, am I describing your, um, experience as well?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, good days and bad days Mm -hmm. and, I think, you know, in the very beginning, I sort of welcomed the pause in the, like, rat race. Like, I was yeah. like, this actually, you know, as long as I'm healthy and, you know, the majority of, at that time, the world was still healthy and it, um, you know, things just kind of slowed down and that was actually kind of nice, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was temporary, of course. And then we still, you know, we didn't know a lot about it and there weren't people, you know, dying at the rate that we're seeing now. And so, yeah, I think you can really get wrapped up in the news every day, which some days I do and some days I'm completely tuned out and um, yeah I welcome to the positive aspects of it, like having more time to get outside and you know not cram runs into like thirty minutes of the day that I can do that, and you know that kind of part of it has been great, but then like, yeah, the other parts of it have not been great, so
0: yeah, yeah you know i I had that period you're talking about, but I didn't have it right away because I was. Like when when the shutdown first happened uh at least in arizona when 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 literally the state was issued you know there was a shutdown issue ordered you know that's when we chose to go completely solo f- training wise um with the team for i guess, i guess that was about six weeks and that was very strange for me so i think that i overcompensated early on in that six weeks like i've got to do other stuff to make up for the right. fact that we're not meeting, we're not putting out pictures and this and stuff. So I was writing a lot and, and um, doing a lot of podcasts and doing everything I could. And then that got overwhelming and seemed silly because to your point, wait a minute, this is a time that I should be, I mean, I should be taking it a little bit easier. Um, I read a few articles about, hey, there's nothing wrong with using this time right. to down <laughs> a little bit. So I took those uh, bits of advice and uh, and I did have a period like you're discussing where I think I did step back a bit and then, and then for us, when, when we did come back, um, coinciding with the state reopening, which was supposed to be a gradual reopen, the gradual (laughs) seems to have disappeared, but we'll get to that. But, um, but I have to admit, I did feel a lot better. I mean, I felt a lot better mentally when, when we were getting together. Um, and we've taken a lot of, you know, or we're following the guidelines, I believe, but, um, but nonetheless, just being, just seeing people, uh, I'm a social being, so it has helped my mental health to be back seeing a few people and doing a few things. Um, been playing tennis now, which they, whoever they are, say is okay, and um, croquet and golf, a few different things, and those have been very fun, so anyway, waves, I think, is, is probably how everybody's been uh, dealing with this.
1: Definitely, I agree, yeah, and just like We'll get into this, I guess, too, but just since I'm the director of Team Run Flagstaff here in town, just trying to like figure out what's best for that group, seeing as we get, you know, 80 to 100 people on a Tuesday night usually. So making those kinds of decisions without a lot of guidance (laughs) is a little stressful now, I think.
0: Well, I think that phrase you used is interesting, right? Because we just don't have a lot of guidance. And in some ways, that's what makes America super cool. You know, we're, we're a very free country. Um, my, I have a very good friend who lives in China. He teaches over there. And during their lockdown, it was a literal lockdown. He had armed guards at, in the lobby of his apartment building and could not leave. Wow. What we called a lockdown was not a lockdown.
1: Uh, no. <laughs>
0: in fact, still the guidelines we are given are basically recommendations. I mean, for, for lack of a better term, I mean, you don't really have to do anything. Um, so yeah, I think our lack of guidance has been, um, difficult and, and, and to be fair, even though folks who are experts have changed their tune on all sorts of things because they're just learning this virus. I mean, we were told by the experts that masks weren't good. Now we're told we should absolutely be wearing them. We were given instructions on how to wash our hands for weeks on end. Now we're being told, oh, it actually doesn't really live very long on surfaces. It's all about the breathing. It's tough, right? Yeah,
1: it is. And it's, you know, in some aspects, it's nobody's fault because the research isn't there. And we don't know what, you know, we don't know enough at this point. but then in other ways i feel like you know there's been just a lack of leadership on every level from sure. the federal government on down and so you know that leaves people like you and me making decisions that i feel like i'm
0: very ill-equipped to make <laughs> amen amen so, <laughs> so so the next little bullet point i had i think we're segueing into it it was just okay we've said we've gone in waves we've said we felt good we felt bad good days, bad days. Where are you right now? Like, give me your opinion on, you know, sort of where we stand in this country. I mean, you, you kind of alluded to what you feel about the government's response, but how do you feel about how citizens are responding? Just what's your, what's your current emotional state and, and reaction to what's going on right now?
1: Right now. Um, I think because we're in Arizona, We're probably, you know, my feeling is not great being that we're not, you know, we open too quickly, is what I'm gathering from what I'm reading, Um, which I think we all knew at the time when we were given the green light to open, everything opened. (laughs) I mean, everything. It it was like it never happened, it just went away, (laughs) which we knew wasn't true. Um, But I think, you know, just being in Arizona where it's just, at the hottest spot there is in the country right now um doesn't leave me feeling very optimistic i guess um i i agree with the mayor locally mandating mask wearing in public i think that's a good move um from you know again from what we're reading today <laughs> yeah, yeah um you know and like you said the original guidance was don't wear masks so who knows what the with the research' we'll, we'll say five days from now. Um, but yeah I think right now I'm just sort of in a probably not the most optimistic mind frame because of you know Arizona struggling so heavily right now um, and just having friends who are nurses or doctors um, in the state and hearing what they're seeing and what they're experiencing um, just it seems like a mess and I don't know what the way out is. And also, you know, as you know, we live um, so close to the Native American reservations and they're struggling so much there. Um, And I know you've done a lot of work and, you know, I've made some donations to try and help in those areas, but we're like, you know, those are our neighbors. And so when they struggle, you know, it directly impacts all of us.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that. I I, I would add um, that one of the things I've tried to do anyway is remember that Arizona is a huge state. And to your point about the Native uh, American reservations, Hopi, Navajo, uh, they have struggled, uh, no question. And right now the numbers in Phoenix are, I don't know how you could call them anything but frightening. Uh, however, the, the numbers in Flagstaff proper, the two zip codes that you know for example our team all lives in 8600186004 the numbers are not bad i mean they're just really not bad i mean they're i think i wrote it down i mean we're talking 439 total confirmed cases throughout the entire thing throughout the entire 3 months this is a town of 70,000 plus people i mean that's not bad numbers now i don't think that gives us the green light to reopen but i do think at least for me personally it reminds me that hey i got to remember that you know this is a big state and there's a huge difference between what's happening in Phoenix and what's happening here. Now, why, I don't quite know. My guess from reading a couple of things that seem to make common sense to me is that if you look at a regular flu season, you know, typically it's fall, winter, right? Because most of the country, you're inside a lot in fall and winter, and you're spending a lot of time indoors, breathing the same air over and over with whoever it might be. But Phoenix, it's the opposite, right? And Dallas, it's the opposite. Houston, it's the opposite. Florida, a lot of the places that are being hit right now and that are becoming epicenters right now are super hot, humid areas where, well, hot and or humid, where people don't want to be outside. And that makes sense to me. Now, of course, like you said, we just have to determine and critically analyze this stuff ourselves. But does that, do you think of that? Does that, does that seem to seem, or does that seem reasonable to assume that that's part of the reason
1: yeah i would say so i mean it makes sense to me um i think there's also you know i guess my fear is also that we're a tourist town and so even though our numbers technically are low like what what's being brought in every weekend and i'm sure you've taken a gander downtown on a Saturday it's pretty scary uh Mm -hmm. there's not a lot lot of social distancing or masking going on so um I think that part gets me a little bit frightened on the weekends to maybe not wander out too much um try and get the grocery shopping done on Wednesday before you know my neighborhood's filled with second homes uh for Phoenix people that I can see what they're doing and you know um so yeah, I think that does make sense that they're spending more time indoors. I think there's also sadly a political aspect to it too. Um, I think maybe masking here is a little bit more socially acceptable than perhaps it is in Phoenix. I don't know, I would just, I'm just taking a guess there, but um, there is a political aspect to it too.
0: Yeah, a lot of it has been politicized, which I don't care for, but um, I agree with you. I. I wonder this about the mask. This is my honest to gosh take on the masks. I don't have a problem wearing a mask in, in a grocery store and ga- anywhere. Now, have I popped in a gas station and forgot to put it on? Yes, I have. Do I think I gave anybody coronavirus or anybody gave it to me in the, in the less than 60 seconds I was in the gas station? No, I don't. But, but I think part of wearing it is the solidarity piece part of wearing it is the awareness piece. It's not you, and I have to admit, I get a little angry at the people that to me seem to get on their high horse. Oh, I'm wearing a mask, I'm saving thousands of lives. No, you're not. But you are <laughs> bringing awareness to the fact that it's still here. You know right. what I mean? And I think that's, for me, that's as much, uh, that's, that's as important as, as anything the mask is actually doing in terms of containing the disease. Because I think to your point about the, some of the folks on the other end that don't want to wear it, they want to just act like it's not there and that's not true. Um, oh yeah, it's very difficult. Um, I, I I will say this about citizens too you know because you've got you do seem to have these like either end you know um, like almost a spectrum and I just it's unfortunate that you sort of like wherever you fall, you think if people are doing uh, more than you, if they're more concerned than you, they're a kook. And, and if they're doing less than you, they're somehow this terrible person. And I think that's not true. <laughs> and so I try to empathize with, with both sides and like where they're coming from. And it does seem like the latest group of people that are really getting infected, though not getting terribly ill, uh, in most cases, are young people because they seem to have had it with staying locked up or not locked up cooped up, and uh, they're going out to clubs and bars, and that seems to be a big hot spot. That's part of the thing that I don't understand about where was the gradual reopening. Of course, restaurants, patios, you know, restaurants that are spacing their uh, tables out, of course, um, you know, uh, salons spaced out, you know, people have to get their hair cut, things like that. But why did clubs and, and late night bars have to open? That just seemed very strange to me.
1: Yeah, I agree. I just feel like, you know, there's supposed to be this, like, phased reopening, um, and it just didn't happen, and I don't, I don't understand why, and I don't think it would, you know, I think that attributes heavily to, you know, where the state is at right now, and some of the other states, too. Um, Yeah, it just really wasn't a good idea. Um, It,
0: It doesn't seem like it. I mean, but I do get that businesses needed to reopen. I just... It just like, like we said at the top, it just seemed like a free for all, you know, like we know that you need to reopen. So you just do what you need to do. And if you're a bar owner, and you make most of your money from 11am to one or 11pm to 1am, when people are drunk, and they're buying crazy drinks uh, for two hours straight, it's just very hard for you to say, no, that's not responsible of me. I'm going to turn all that money away. I think those are the situations where we needed the government. And same for young people. Like I know it's easy to look at a viral video of young people partying and get so angry at them, but I do think you have to put yourself back in the position of being 23, particularly if you were someone who liked to go out and this is your this is your passion, okay? Maybe as runners, running is our passion, but they they love going out and they haven't done it for Two months, and they're being told that their favorite bar is open. It is right. very, and they're and they're not sick, and their friends aren't sick. They don't know anybody who's died. I can see why they would say, "Let's just do it." Now, I'm not agreeing with it, but I could see how they would do it. Does that is that fair of me to say?
1: Oh yeah, I remember. I mean, I spent my twenties in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I was out every night. And if somebody told me I couldn't go out for three months and then suddenly I was able to, I would have for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah I
1: think that's totally fair. Um, yeah. It doesn't bode well when NAU starts in August for us.
0: Correct. Correct. I don't
1: know what happens then.
0: Yeah. And let, let's get to sports and things in one second. But from the college thing is baffling to me. I don't understand how we think that it's going to be a good idea to put these kids in these dorms. Dorms are germ havens to begin with. And when we, we, you and I exchanged a bunch of links beforehand and Clemson football and, and uh, Boise state football and um, all these other places are having these, they're taking tests and the kids are showing up uh, positive for COVID-19. It's not because of football. It's because of what they're doing on the weekends. And right. you think these college kids are going to come back away from their parents, away from anybody telling them what to do across the country and all these different schools and just sit in their dorm and do nothing. No way. No, no. way. They're absolutely no. going to go out. They're absolutely going to spread the virus. I guess the question becomes, do we think because of their age group that that's okay. I I, I don't have the answer to that.
1: I. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't have any answer to that either. But I do know that, like, you know, as you know, a lot of NCAA coaches have spent the past, you know, however many months, you know, not only dealing with budget cuts, but also being asked to come up with these exhaustive plans to help mitigate this virus for their athletes. And, you know, they come up with, you know, staggering practices and not using vans and this, that, and the other thing, just so the athletes can, can come back and they can start practices. But it's like, at the end of the day, you're sending them back to like dorms and apartment buildings where 100%. whatever you did to mitigate, it's it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> well, I think this is a good segue into sports, right? Because, okay, let's look at the PGA Tour, who has this bubble that they're basically putting in everybody in each week. They're testing everybody at the beginning of the week. Um, And then they're playing the the tournament and everybody's staying in Airbnbs or or very nice hotels uh, with one another. And I think the first week they had 467 people tested. Every single person was negative. They played the tournament. No problem. Second week, 450 plus people tested again, everybody negative. They began the tournament. One person felt, felt ill on Thursday afternoon, got a second test uh, was positive, but they tested everybody he played with and they were all negative. But these are, you know, super professional athletes, making millions of dollars in some cases, uh, being very, very careful. And I think these are great numbers that you're seeing. But then you look at the Clemson football team, and they all get tested, and 21 of the kids test positive. Well, why is that? It's It's not because they're more susceptible to the illness than PGA golfers. It's because they're not behaving themselves and following the guidelines outside of the ropes, if you will. That. So I just think so many of these sports, um, it's sport by sport, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and there's all these different variables you have to consider. Um, when you've looked at the sports landscape as a whole, um, I guess particularly the major sports, and then we'll get to our own, which unfortunately we're not a major sport, um, how do you feel pro sports have handled the issue from from the beginning?
1: Well, it's really interesting because I think the first time it really hit everyone that this was like a serious thing was because the NBA like was about to start a game. and was like, Oh wait, hold the phone. Totally. We've got a positive here. And um, I think, you know, sports is what really hit home for people in the beginning. Like, Oh, this is really serious. Um, So I think it's like, you know how they handle it is really important because that's what people are looking to as examples, you know. Yes. Um, and so you know, I'm not as big of a you know baseball watching person, I have been, you know, you know, baseball, football, all those leagues, hockey, <laughs> what have you. Um, yeah. I probably am not as in tune as you are with those leagues, but um you know, from what I've been reading, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. They all have a lot of money. And I think, you know, that helps everything. I mean, they can test as much as they've been testing. They can, you know, put these people on private jets and fly them places and they don't have to go through TSA and handle a bin and use the public restrooms and (laughs) all those kinds of things, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, it's not reality, but, um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, is it that important that we spend that much, that that much money is poured in so that we can watch people golf on Saturday? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, we are entertainment starved at the moment. So, I actually would turn that on and watch it at this point. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah, So what do you think? I mean, I don't know. Um, Yeah. Tell me what you think.
0: Well, I think they led the way to your point in many ways, because I think, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, Oh, we as a country weren't aware of the, how big of a deal this thing was until those sports shut down. And they did it very quickly. You have to give them credit for that. I mean, the NBA, the NHL, it was all in one weekend. Um, mm-hmm. The the PGA tour started their tournament that weekend and then, and then pulled the plug on it halfway through. So those, those sports all took it very seriously and set the tone for the country. And mm-hmm. what followed was, you know, six to eight weeks, depending on your, your state uh, of, of shutdown. And I think that those sports trying to come back in a super gradual, super safe way is another example of them leading the way, to be honest with you. They're doing what we, you and I talked about our state didn't do. You know, we just, we just green lighted everything. And they're not doing that. You know, the PGA tour has no fans. Uh, The Bundesliga over in Germany in soccer and the premier league, no fans. Um, The players are getting tested. Everything is being very, very calculated. Um, what I said earlier about the PGA even when somebody did test positive that doesn't have to be the end of the world now that person's now in isolation they traced it traced his movements uh, and his uh, actions over the course of that week They tested everybody he came in contact with you know they can control it and in a lot of ways I think that's that should be the example for all of us, you know, uh, whether we're in sports or, or at our jobs, or offices or or whatever. Um, so I think sports has been awesome and I'm glad they're coming back. And I think there's there's another analogy there or, or a parallel in the sense that, you know, it is my belief that we do have to get back. I mean, not all of us have the, the look. my brother's in the mailroom, you know, he didn't get to work from home. He's been working the whole time. He never missed a day uh, yeah. during the whole thing. You know, there's a lot of uh, blue-collar folks out there that they they didn't have the option to to work from home and 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 we mm-hmm. need to get people back to work, but we need to be doing it in a, in a safe way. Now the big the big segue here is what about our sport? Because no. it's super unique. I mean, it's so unique yeah. in this in the sense that we are an industry. This is a real thing. People are losing their shirts. Uh, if you are in the event industry if you 're a timing company, one of my very best friends, my former business partner that 's his livelihood he hasn 't timed a race since uh, early march um, if you 're the race itself and you have to miss an entire year of your um, either event or events,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what the heck you know um, yeah. you could you could go under um, journalists uh, athletes. Um, there's all sorts of people, there's all sorts of tentacles that that spread. And this industry is bigger than people realize. And a lot of people are being affected in a very negative way. And so we, I I think, and this is the crux of our talk here is why aren't we talking about how to come back? Everybody's just like, Oh, that's too crazy. Well, I mean, I guess, but here's my thing about the virus, Aaron. I've heard so many people say, well, we just have to wait for a vaccine. What are you talking about? What, SARS doesn't have a vaccine. That was 2002. HIV was 1981. We don't have a. Ba- There's no guarantee that we're going to get a vaccine. Uh, mm-hmm. We have to figure out how to move forward in small steps, understanding that this might be here for another year, year and a half. If you look at pandemics in history, even without vaccines, they're going to take about a year and a half to two years, and then they will fade out, and, and there will be some sort of herd immunity, and the virus will weaken, and we will be back to a real normalcy but until then we gotta take some steps so have you talked to thought about read about anyone in this industry that seems to be taking the right steps and what do those steps look like (laughs) sorry that was a lot that was a big question
1: (laughs) (laughs) um i am working on some like sort of state of the industry stories and um none of which have been published because I feel like as soon as I finish an interview, like something sort of shifts and changes. And I'm like, well, what about that? And how does that play into this? And does that change the interview I might've had two days ago? Like, you know, yeah. um, and I think there's also like so many different parts of our industry, like you said, like, and there's only, I mean, I feel like, you know, maybe track races, could come back, you know, domestically at least, um, pretty pretty quickly. I think those are manageable events. I think um, you know when you're talking about you know, I'm personally supposed to be running the Chicago Marathon. Do I feel comfortable lining up with fifty thousand people right now? No, no, I don't. <laughs> so I, you know, I think there are different different parts of the sport that maybe can come back a little bit sooner than other parts. Um, But like you said, like, where's the leadership? Like, who's guiding this process for us? No one. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think anybody is.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, a quick USATF thing. I mean, USATF put out a set of guidelines that were absurd, in my opinion. Now, Mm -hmm. they'll take umbrage with that. But I know where they were coming from. They were just washing their hands of it. They they were basically... Yeah, they were basically saying we're not going to sanction anything because we don't want anything to come back on us, which I get in a sense. But man, wouldn't it be a little nicer to say, hey, let's get a let's get a think tank going. They never called anyone. I mean, coaches, athletes, none of us were ever talked to. They just came out with a statement that basically said, yeah, we're not going to do anything. Um, That's unfortunate, but not terrible.
1: His lawyers, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not terribly surprising. So, <clears throat> let's just throw that away. That is what it is, and then we have to figure it out ourselves. So, you know, for example, I've been working on this meet in Utah in July <clears throat> that we haven't announced because I think it would be better just to wait until we're a hundred percent sure it's a go. Because I don't want any guidelines. If it, guidelines change, we'll have to pull the plug. But right now, you can have large gatherings up to fifty people in Utah. This is a uh, one event. Uh, 5,000-meter men, 5,000-meter women, 15 people tops per per gender, no fans. There'll be well under 50 people in the stadium. Every single athlete and spectator, not spectator, but every single athlete slash uh, personnel member has to uh, uh, have a negative test within seven days of the event. They have to get tested, proof of negative test, and then you have to sign a liability waiver uh, and questionnaire relating to what you did those four days in between. I wish you could get the test on site. It's not possible, though. So, but from a percentage standpoint, if everybody was negative on Monday or Tuesday and the race is on Saturday, from a math perspective, it's really good odds that everybody's going to be healthy on Saturday and you have the event and the only people that are close to one another are are the athletes for those 15 minutes um, while they're racing and at least the current data suggests that running with people is actually not some kind of crazy thing. It's not a big risk factor, very, very low on the risk factor scale. So I feel good about that. And it's essentially the same protocol that some races are going to use in August um, uh, in, in, in Nashville in Memphis and California and Portland, all those race directors have kind of been getting together. And I agree with you that track, at least if you do it in that way, seems very reasonable to me. It's not impossible that someone could test negative, but it does, or uh, positive, but it doesn't seem as if it's, it's not, you're not in a nightclub for three hours. Um, I think it seems a lot safer than most things. But what about these road races? Because that's where the real money is in the sport. What I just described to you is not going to make money for anyone. <laughs> uh, it, it, it will, it will help uh, the athletes from a branding perspective, which helps their marketability. So there is some indirect uh, money being made uh, on the athlete's side. Uh, in the the races in California, athletes might be able to make some uh, bonus money based on their times. The Utah race won't be very fast, I don't think, because of the heat um, at 2,700 feet where we're going to run it. Um, and maybe the timers make a little money. But if, if we're talking about real money, we're talking about large road races. And so um, I don't know. Have you gotten any scuttlebutt from the Chicago's, the London's, the, the New York's, the events that haven't been canceled yet? Any sort of idea as to what they might be trying to do, if anything?
1: I haven't. Um, all I've heard really like third hand is that, you know, the announcements are coming that, you know, yeah, they're not. I mean, I think Twin Cities canceled today. Yeah. Um, so that which is, I think, the weekend before Chicago. So I think we could probably expect some announcements pretty soon. Um, I just can't imagine that. I think, you know, for road races, you have to take into account people traveling from all over the place gathering in one location, um, which is really risky for the community that you're holding the event in. Um, Yep. So I don't know. I I don't see how they c- come back in 2020. I just don't. I feel like we should just maybe chop 2020 up to a yeah. canceled year. <laughs> yeah. um, but maybe we'll have like my hope is that you know we'll have better research. We'll have better treatments if we don't have a vaccine that will you know sort of help us move along at least. um like you said like you know a vaccine isn't in my mind a requirement for you know these big large-scale events to go off again and the olympics is a different different animal i didn't even
0: have that on the outline aaron oh gosh (laughs) scary to think about i mean
1: i feel like um the olympics is a whole different thing but like when you're talking about like large road races i think there are um there are ways to maybe move forward there next year I don't see it happening this year
0: yeah I think somebody has well I I was actually very surprised to see Fargo trying to move forward in August granted that's a much smaller event uh very surprised to see Hamburg trying to move forward in September um that's a 10,000 person event yeah Uh, I read their I read their protocols I mean it's interesting trying to limit the waves or the corrals to 500 people and um I I was surprised to see Hamburg but I I guess <laughs> I guess my thought is my worry is I should say we I've heard other people say that as well and I've thought that as well well 2020 might just be out but isn't there a certain level of it's somewhat arbitrary because there's no guarantee that January there's going to be January 1st isn't a magical number um and I guess my concern is How long can the industry just not have any events? Um, And that's why, that's what worries me. I feel like there's this sense of, well, we'll just wait until 2021 when the experts are telling us, fluid as the situation may be, that fall 2020, winter 21 could be very bad. Um, There could be a lot more cases. And so I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering what the answers are. And and when I think about these large road races, I think, well, right off the top, if you didn't have the expo, you know, if you just did away with the expo, yeah. then nobody's inside in one place together, which is nice right off the bat. Cause that does seem to be the worst scenario, be it nursing homes, be it nightclubs. When you see these clusters, it does seem to be these indoor uh, facilities where everybody's breathing the same air for a long period of time over and over and over again so because your exposure rate is, is so much higher um so you could do away with those of course you could do away with any sort of indoor uh pre-race staging any sort of indoor post-race staging you could keep everything outside but i always come back to what you said it's just the travel that scares me because, and, and actually not the travel itself per se, because yeah. the plane people, I know people who have traveled and they've actually felt very safe. The, the planes are the, the airports and the, um, mm-hmm. the, the folks on the plane are doing a great job, but what were they doing before they got on the plane? What are they bringing with them? And then to your point, they're bringing it to this one city, be it Chicago, as you say, I mean, everybody stays in such a small, you know, um, footprint, uh, in all these hotels, all these big hotels right down there. And it does seem like sort of a recipe for disaster. So even though I, I don't have as much problem with the race itself, I think I could see the race itself not being that terribly dangerous, but the rest of the time that everybody's there seems like the problem. So I don't know if a, a possible answer is to, is to scale these events down to regional, but I don't know how you, um, how you are how you would be able to monitor where people are coming from.
1: Right. I yeah, that's the problem. And I don't know like um, you know, when I think of my race experience is much different than a pro's race experience. Yeah. And so like I'm sharing porta potties with a few thousand people. I'm like, you know, these are the thoughts that go through my head. <laughs> totally. Like, um, yeah, I I think, you know, and I smaller scale even you know with um our fourth of july downtown mile like i couldn't we we couldn't figure out a way to safely do that this year because it's in a like i said like i said like it's in a small area um it's a one mile race you're not going to stretch out very much and that would take away the flavor of the event too because it's a one mile race you want to see people race each other yeah (laughs) um and yeah, so there's a lot of considerations and it was, you know, and, you know, like we were saying before, there's a li- liability aspect to it too, um, but it hasn't been quite figured out yet. I, don't I
0: think. wonder about that. I, like, can I, somebody I agree. Oh, I yeah. lost you for one second. Say that last part again.
1: Yeah, I was just saying, like, I don't know if somebody can like try and sue a race organization because they claim that they contracted COVID at your event. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm not yeah. a legal expert, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> like all of these things that I'd never
0: really thought about before. Yeah, and yet you have to make these decisions. I yeah. I I am not either any of those things either. From a common sense perspective, it seems impossible to sue anyone for getting COVID-19. Correct. How could you possibly? Plus, if you can go to bars and restaurants how how could you possibly sue anyone for getting it? I, I, that seemed, unless they were, you know, breaking a law in putting the event on, you know, like, let's say your event had 3000 people and your municipality said large gatherings had to be less than a thousand. Then I could see something like that, but man, I just can't see how you could have any recourse legally, um, or how you could prove it. But that's beside the point, that's not really what race directors are thinking about. I mean they're thinking about it, but they're also thinking about, I think it just if it just doesn't seem right yet, it just doesn't seem like the time right. yet and and somebody has to go first, um, it's just difficult and then when you think about the pro side of the sport, which I did want to talk about, the problem I see with a pro road race is this: Where would you get the money to pay them? right. I mean that I've heard so many people come to me. Well, can't they have New York in Central Park with just the pros? Can't they do Chicago on a criterium course in downtown Chicago? Who would pay them? The right. money comes from the, all the entries and yes. and all the all the sponsors and everything else. And if that money's not there, then where would the prize money come from? You know, um, it's not like golf again, which I'm a huge fan. They can have these events without spectators because the event is on television so the sponsors are still paying the advertisements because they're on television and that's where the most money comes from so or that's where most of the money comes from not the fans oh so I don't know
1: yeah I don't know either there are no easy answers and I think um also something that you know when road races do sort of phase back in like one question. That keeps coming up is like how do you attract runners who may be hesitant or feeling scared like how do you how do you market it to them that it's a safe event that they will be you know safe to do it um and what kind of messaging do you have to come up with and practices and protocols do you have to put in place to make it feel safe
0: yeah i th- i think you have to show that you care you know, mm-hmm. and that you're really trying hard. W- one thing I noticed with that Utah event, because I had no idea whether people were into this or not, mm-hmm. everybody was into it. And I think what it showed me was that, A, these pros want to race. And mm-hmm. they're not they're not these young people going out to clubs. They're doing everything right. They're healthy, and they want to perform, and they want to race. Um, yeah. As long as it seems safe. I think that races, like, let's say Chicago went forward. I'll bet you from a percentage standpoint, they would have a pretty small amount of no shows uh, that's my guess because and here's why because people trust the brand if if Chicago is telling them we're taking all these protocols you're going to be safe I think they're going to trust Chicago I think people in Flagstaff trust you guys you know if you said i mean it's hard to say for this year because of course it just wasn't right but let's say next year it's still kind of around (laughs) uh and you say hey here's what we're going to do we've done this 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 and this we're going to protect you we're going to keep you safe as best we possibly can there's still a risk you have to sign a waiver i think they'll trust you and i think they'll come um that would be my answer to that is that i think the the organization has to show that they care and they have to do as uh, as good a job as they possibly can understanding that there's going to be some risk. And I think that's, as a society, that's what so many people seem to be going way beyond. But I think there's a calculated risk in anything you do. I mean, mm-hmm. going to the grocery store is a very small risk, but it's a risk nonetheless. Getting takeout is an extremely small risk, but a risk, risk nonetheless. And I think we have to take some of these risks, Um, we just have no choice. Um, okay. 10 minutes. How about regular runners? So we're talking, and we've talked a little bit, but we're talking just your normal age group runner likes to do a road race, likes to do group runs, likes to do their Tuesday speed workout in Mm -hmm. Flagstaff or whatever city they might be in high school, cross country. Let's just dig into that. Where, Where, where's your gut? Where's your opinion on group training right now?
1: Um, Yeah, it's interesting because you probably saw we just did a member survey. I filled it out. Thank you. I appreciate that. We did get a good return. We got almost 100 people um, who filled out the whole survey, which was great. And basically, you know, the survey was asking all sorts of questions about, you know, what would make you feel comfortable or, you know, what protocols would you like to see put in place, those kinds of things to just sort of figure out where our membership is at in their comfort level of group runs and it was really it was very interesting <laughs> uh the results because i think people are saying that at least our membership is saying like yeah come back if you can like split the groups up if i have more space on the track um like 10 or fewer people seems to be like this so, like, for most people
0: Like they don't mean total on the track. They mean that they're kind of running around.
1: So what we were, no, like, yeah. But what we were thinking of is like, so say, you know, we are allowed back on our track. Um, We have a two hour window. So maybe we break it up into 30 minute increments, 10 people on the track every 30 minutes. And we just keep calling them out. Stuff like that. Like, I think that's maybe how you start. And maybe yeah. as the comfort level gets a little bit better, um, you can, you can go from there, but that's yeah. sort of our thinking as, yeah. you know, how do we get back to practices? Cause we've never, we've been around for 10 years and we've never had a hiatus this long. Um, except, you know, well, never. So yeah. yeah, we're trying to think of different ways to make people feel comfortable, but the one overriding message is that nobody wants to wear a mask while they're running, which I completely understand in normal circumstances. And I really understand that 7,000 feet.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, again, I, this might even be a place, we didn't disagree as much as I thought we might, but um, <laughs> I, and again, it's, it's not me. It's just what I'm reading and I could be interpreting it incorrectly, but what I'm reading is that outside and moving, the chances of actually contracting the virus from someone you're around when you're moving around outside is infinitely smaller than so many other situations. And so I have now, and I wasn't like this a few weeks ago, but, but reading these articles and whatnot, I, I've just come to the place where it just doesn't scare me to be running with people. Because I feel mm-hmm. like, because I, I do understand that mentality that, hey, we have to act as if everyone has it because there's so many asymptomatic folks. But I'm just the data would suggest could be changed in a week that it's just really low chance when you're riding your bike with someone or or running with someone. And so, yeah, I personally, it doesn't scare me very much to run with people, but I get that everyone's a little different and I certainly get that it's a different thing when you run the organization. (laughs) Um, You know, (laughs) it's very easy to answer the survey and be like, yeah, I'd come to the track. I'm really ready to run with people, but you know, it's it's difficult to make the decisions um on the same or much in the same vein do you think cross country's coming back in the fall high school and college
1: I mean it kind of seems like what I'm seeing just on social media is that high schoolers are really they've been going to camps and practicing and all systems go so (laughs) yeah Yeah, Um, it kind of seems like that's the trajectory for people.
0: Yeah, Um, I I think if they go back to school, they're gonna do it.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I think college is a whole different ball game.
0: College, college is probably above our pay grade because we've got to we would have to figure out the we would have to learn more about the finances, and I'm not Mm -hmm. really that well versed in it. I, I mean, on a basic level, I understand that it's a trickle down from college football and that's
1: uh, no football there's no cross country (laughs) that's
0: (laughs) what what it kind of seems like to me um but I I would I would say just you know seeing high school cross country teams running together doesn't bother me I think it did a while back but I mean in our group so small um but I do feel like if the coach is doing a good job you know telling the kids that there's a responsibility level that they need to understand in terms of what they're doing outside of practice. Um, and then when they come to practice, um, you know, if they're just running now, they shouldn't be hugging each other. Uh, but, but if, if they're just hugging and they're not spending time, uh, indoors close to one another, um, it it seems like a fairly safe, uh, activity compared to many
1: yeah I would agree with that. i you know they're not like passing a basketball between them or anything like that, you know um,
0: yeah, yeah. I was looking at that one chart I sent you and basketball was definitely like a higher risk level than running or tennis where you're not right on top of one another, you're not touching one another um, yeah, basketball's tough, like I think the nBA can come back because I think they can put everybody in a bubble, but right. You and, can't and do that with kids. <laughs> you can't do that with kids. Yeah. And that's the tough thing about cross country too is even though it might be safer, it does seem like an all or none kind of thing. It's, it doesn't, it seems like it would be difficult to me to tell the high school football team uh, you can't go, but cross country, you can go. Or, yeah. you know, uh, I think in a lot of states, is in the fall as well. Soccer, you can't go, but um, you know, swimming. You can. It seems like that's going to be really tough. So I don't know.
1: I know. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> um, I'll be curious to see. You know, if schools go back. That. I mean, not that decision hasn't even been made yet. So if there's no. You know, what do you do about sports? If yeah.
0: I was talking to Kellen today. She back. said she said that um, FUSD was going to give something out today. Was going to make an announcement today about school. Oh, so but we're only we're only one city.
1: Right, right.
0: There's a lot of yeah. cities across the state or across the uh, yeah. country. Um, well, we didn't solve it, Aaron.
1: We didn't. Aaron. <laughs>
0: we I'm didn't disappointed in us. <laughs> I know, I know. I would feel it. by know. <laughs> it's just difficult, but I I think that yeah I mean my my final thing to anybody listening is like because this is what's bothered me the whole time is just try to understand that there's a lot of different opinions and we're not getting we're not getting clear guidance and so have some under try to understand the context of of where everybody's coming from and don't just jump to the conclusion that people are total morons and idiots just because they're not doing what, what you're, what you think is right. Because, you know, they, they, their context is different than yours and their understanding of this thing is different than yours and we're not getting this guidance. And, um, you know, I think part of the politicizing and, and part of the polarizing aspect of this has been the jump to conclusion on one side or the other, you're stupid, you're stupid. Um, maybe if we tried to work together to understand this thing a little bit better uh we wouldn't have that and then we could move forward and um i don't know that's my hope because obviously we're not going to be told exactly what to do we're going to have to figure this thing out ourselves
1: yeah i do want to say though like before we go is that you know i do like some of the positives that have come out of it i think are like you know the creativity like you're doing the sort of like online dual meets uh, with the boulder group and you know the oregon track club did theirs with um atlanta track club yes i love that stuff i mean more of that it it forces us all to be creative and we can think you know well what do we want to take with us when you know i don't know that things will ever be back to normal but um you know there have been some good ideas like what can we bring with us from
0: that yeah and way more podcasts and way more zoom calls and I think uh, I was watching something yesterday from Altus Dan Dan Paps group they were doing an online coaching conference and um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that stuff is super cool and I agree with you there's been a lot of creativity and there's probably going to still need to be a lot of creativity uh, for for many months to come and you know there's smart people in this sport we're we're gonna we're gonna move forward I just I just um, I just hope it's sooner than later, but a lot of that is just hope because we just don't know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job. Thanks for all the uh, articles and keep us posted on what's going on. You know, we need to, we need Mm -hmm. to have more people in our sport trying to, trying to figure this thing out. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's too many people that just have no idea what's going on because we don't have a, we don't have one body that kind of runs this show. It's a lot of little fiefdoms and, um, um, I just, I just uh, hope that we can get it going.
1: Me too. Agreed.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate the talk. I think, uh, I think what we talked about is what a lot of people are thinking in their heads, and you know, just mm-hmm. trying to make sense of it.
1: Yep. Agreed. Good luck with
0: everything. I hope we are back on the track soon.
1: I know. We're working on it.
0: We can go to bars, but we can't go to the track. I know. <laughs> go figure. It seems very odd to me, but whatever. <laughs>
1: 2020. Weirdest year ever. (laughs) All right. See ya. Bye.